This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Welcome to episode 14 of The Nth Dimension. I'm Shreya, and today we'll be talking about a, a topic that's been in the news for a while now, the Amazon deforestation or Amazon forest fires. Um, and I've called this how Bolsonaro's ultra-nationalistic ideology is burning the Amazon forest. Um, and I have back in the studio with me today, Eduardo Souza Rodriguez, who's an assistant professor of, Envi of environment and economics at the University of Toronto. And Eduardo is from Brazil. He's from Sao Paulo. So I'm actually so excited to have him in the studio because I'm pretty sure he'll be able to bring in his um, social, economic, cultural nuances to our conversation today. And Eduardo is also, his research agenda lies at the intersection of environmental economics, industrial organization econometrics, and he studied environmental problems related to tropical deforestation, especially in the Amazon rainforest. And his focus is on the performance of existing and yet to be implemented conservation policies. So welcome back, Eduardo. Thank you for coming. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> the last time we met, um, it was hot and we were in the midst of summer and now yes. it's only 5.30 and dark has fallen because winter has arrived. Yeah. Winter is coming. <laughs> um, winter is coming, exactly. Game of Thrones reference there. Um, so before I bring Eduardo in, uh, let's set the stage a little. We all know that the Amazon rainforest is being burnt. And the reason why I say that it is being burnt rather than burning is because a lot of these fires or most of these fires are man-made as opposed to the natural wildfires that we hear of in the United States. Um, and when I was researching for this podcast, what struck out to me was that the tension that we're facing right now with regards to the Amazon is very much it's the tension between economic development and environmental devastation that we have been facing for all these years that has led to climate emergency. And in fact, Eduardo and I, our last conversation was on the intersection of um, capitalism and, and the climate crisis. Um, so I feel like the, the Amazon is like, it, it, it rep, it's almost like a heritage of humanity and um, the reason why people around the world are getting so enraged why, by what's happening in Brazil with regards to the burning of the forest is um, it's, it, it, it resembles where we are in terms of neoliberalism and capitalism and environmental devastation and climate emergency. So why is the Amazon so important to us? I'm pretty sure you all know, but just to set some facts straight, uh, some of the things that I found out while researching is that the Amazon recycles one fifth of the of of the world's rainfall. It holds 150 billion tons of stored carbon. It's home to 15 percent of all species on Earth, and the equator pretty much runs through um, Brazil. Yet it is cooler than 
countries in North Africa because of the Amazon forest, which, which results in a lot of cooling. But yes. you're the master, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Now you nailed it. Yeah. I nailed it. Okay. Yes. Whew, thank you. Um, so that's why the Amazon is so important. Um, it, it 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 leads to it not only feeds, it creates rainfall, and then it also uh, flourishes because of rainfall. Um, but in the past year, this year in in 2019, deforestation in the Amazon is up by. For, sorry, forest fires in the Amazon are up by 35%, which is uh, which is the largest increase in the past eight years. And um, how this has happened is very much largely linked to the leadership of President Jair Bolsonaro, who came into power January 2019. And he came with the agenda of um, economic development. He is an ultra- uh, right-wing nationalistic leader, and he promised to um, develop. He promised to increase capitalism in Brazil, and it cannot. And he promised an increase in economic development, and he promised to loosen the laws and policies regarding the Amazon, uh, which has led to a lot of logging and ranching, and ultimately fires. So, Eduardo, I have spoken enough. Why don't you come in and tell us? Um, how Jair Bolsonaro's rise to power has led to man-made fires in the Amazon. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, actually, uh, can I talk a little bit before that about the benefits of the Amazon? Of course. Is that okay? Yes, I need yes, to know I too. It, no, no, I find, yeah, I find that very interesting. So one of, one of the reasons, and I think this is very curious, the the amount of biodiversity in the Amazon is outstanding. It's unbelievable. And sometimes people would go to the Amazon think they're going to see all of this uh, biodiversity right there. But actually, it's very hard to see. Because the thing is, in one in one piece of land, in one plot of land, uh, there are so many different species, actually. And that's because uh, that's a protection mechanism. So the trees don't, don't get to be together at least not very close, because then they become very easy targets to pests and insects. So if you put them together, they're not going to survive. And that's, uh, I don't know if you heard of, of, of uh, that story, uh, Gerald Ford. You don't know that? No. So Gerald Ford, uh, in the 40s, he went to, he created a small town in the middle of the Amazon jungle. And uh, the objective was to produce rubber for the tires of the automobiles. And it was a total, uh, it failed, uh, it failed beautifully. And that's because he tried a plantation and put all these trees on the, you know, all the rubber trees at the, um, next to each other. And then when the, uh, let's say the insects or the pests realized, so to speak, uh, they pretty much killed all the rubber trees. So that's why you cannot have them all together. So if you look at, uh, so uh, one species has to be sufficiently far away, not too far away, otherwise you do not, they do not pollinate. Mm. But if they stay too close together, they just don't survive. And that's why I have so many different, one of the reasons why I have so many species in a single plot, because you find one piece of a given tree and that's the only one you find there. So biodiversity is one of the main reasons why uh, uh, we value the Amazon. Uh, well, by in itself, but also maybe because uh, who knows we, we, what we can discover. I mean, we can find out you know, important medicines in the future. Who knows? So this is one of the reasons why it's important. 
another one is uh, um, the trees, they adapt uh, the local climate uh, to themselves. I have seen uh, ecologists mentioning that. So a lot of the rain uh, that you see in the rainforest, and there's a lot, uh, a lot of that comes from the underground water that the trees got, and then when they evaporate those water, and that those, uh, uh, and then the water comes back uh, mm. to the raindrops. Uh, so uh, one of the things that ecologists say is that if you take the trees out, uh, you're going to reduce the amount of raining in the rainforest. And so uh, uh, through computer simulations, they, they find that there is a tipping point. So if you deforest perhaps more than 40% of the Amazon, it's, uh, it's going to be game over because uh, you are not going to be able to recover this, the, mm. this, uh, the amount of rain that we see nowadays. And that, and that rain doesn't stay just there. It goes uh, because of the wind patterns and the Andes mountains. A lot of that rain goes to the south of, uh, of the continent. And this is one of the explanations why we don't have a uh, desert in mm. that region, in contrast to Africa, for example. And it also mm. uh, feeds rain into the, into the United States, right? Uh, yeah, uh, but it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's interesting, it's important to notice that a lot of the um, agriculture that happens in South America is, uh, it does use rain from the rainforest because of these wind patterns. So if no, no forest, no rain, no rain, no agriculture. No food for us. No food for us. It's funny that you mentioned um, tipping point because when I was researching for this, first of all, I have to say, I, before, before this, before I started researching for this podcast, honestly did not know the value of the Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, of the Amazon rainforest as I do now. And I, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I always knew that it's called the lungs of the earth and, but I didn't yeah. understand why. And what you it's mentioned also, about the rain. Yeah. And it's also a carbon sink. So if you leave, yes. if you leave it undisturbed, it's going to absorb carbon from the atmosphere. So uh, uh, if we, uh, if we keep deforesting, and so, and the deforestation is, is mostly burning uh, the trees, fundamentally burning the trees. So that's what farmers do. They burn the trees and then uh, they plant grass. And typically they put uh, uh, cattle. So it's basically opening the land for cattle ranching. And when they burn the trees, then I have all this carbon storage on the trees uh, themselves. And it's just going to be released into the atmosphere. Mm. And uh, while if you plant, there will be a lot of carbon sequestration. So just for you to have an idea, uh, people have been measuring the amount of carbon on the ground and sometimes even below ground in the Amazon. And uh, it's kind of interesting the way they do. They, uh, they, they uh, select some plots and they measure many trees and they have this measurement, which is the uh, circumference of the tree at your chest height. Mm. So they measure all of those. And based on this, they're able to calculate how much carbon there is in each tree. And then they have a sample of trees, and then they have an idea about how much carbon there is in each of these uh, wow. sample trees. And finally, so they don't stop there, they go ahead and they link that information with satellite imagery. So from the satellite, you know, uh, you have a vegetation index measurements. And then they combine these vegetation index measurements with the measurements of carbon stock on the ground and that allows you to extrapolate and uh, estimate how much carbon stock there is in other plots. And that's how we know how much carbon there is in the Amazon, one of the ways we know it. And uh, if you take uh, 
Uh, if you take a municipality in the Amazon, if, and if you compare the amount of carbon stock on the forest versus on agricultural land, the difference is about 80, like 80 tons of carbon per hectare, which is a lot. Uh, of course, it varies depending on the region, but the average is 80. So if you just deforest one hectare of land in the Amazon and all of the, that carbon is released. Like opening a box, opening a yeah. box and releasing all of that carbon. Yeah. Just to hit home. So this how... is one, sorry. So this is one of the global value uh, of the Amazon, you know, uh, uh, avoiding emitting more carbon and, uh, you know, helping mitigating uh, climate change. Yeah. Just to hit home how, how dire the situation is, because sometimes it's hard to relate, um, you know, X, Mm -hmm. x amount x thousand hectares burning yeah it's hard to relate that to your personal life but um i read that every minute um the size of a soccer field in the amazon is being burned so just to put that yeah. into like so. visual imagery what you said like uh -huh. every time we burn a patch of the forest it's like literally opening a box and releasing mm -hmm. a lot of carbon dioxide in the air let me give you another number that might be uh, another image that might be helpful. Uh, in the worst days, so the peak of deforestation we have seen in the Amazon was in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, counting the total amount of area that has been deforested. And in one of the worst years, we have deforested an area of the size of Massachusetts. Wow. So if you can imagine, so think about Massachusetts, full of trees, completely full of trees. In one year, we chopped them all down and you opened the whole thing was really, really, it was at that level of, uh, I don't know, bad, badness. Mm. Ba it was, it's, uh, was unbelievably bad. So now it's actually better. It has improved over time. Uh, so uh, this is a kind of a half empty, half full uh, glass kind of problem, because if you compare what's happening today versus what happened 20 years ago, the amount of deforestation is way smaller. So this is the good news. The bad news. <laughs> so I all yeah, I guess I always bring you, the good you and the always, bad news. You always bring a balance. Um yeah. so the bad news is the one you said already. Um the minimum deforestation uh, was in 2012, and since then it has been increasing. So it's steadily increasing. We are not back to the levels we saw like 20 years ago, but we are not getting any better. So it's according to you, it's not just under Jair Bolsonaro, that we've seen a sudden rise, as like what mainstream media is yeah, telling us. No. But according to you, it's been steadily increasing yes. since 2012. 12, did you say? Yes. Okay. Yes. And exactly. why is that? Uh, well, I can only speculate. Uh, what I think, I suspect, I can't say if that's correct or not, but I do suspect that they pretty much, well, two reasons. One, they pretty much relaxed. So they, they uh, so in 2003 or four, when it was one of these peaks, it was so bad, the Brazilian government launched a really ambitious plan to stop deforestation, and they were able, they were able to reduce deforestation. I mean, the annual amount of deforested area by about 75 percent. It was a huge success, mm. and I think they felt, I, I believe, they felt, oh, we did it. Uh, we improved this so much, this is not a big problem anymore. Mm. And then uh, I think they relaxed, and it was basically through monitoring and enforcement. I mean, there are many, many changes you see over, over this uh, time period, 
But in my view, it's mostly, there was barely any enforcement or monitoring back then. And mm. then they, that's when they, they started using satellite monitoring. And to me, that was a big revolution. And I think they relaxed. And I think, I suspect this is what's happened. That's why it's steadily increasing. And a second reason is that uh, we have been through, the whole country have, have been through, um, there has been through a budget crisis. So we have been, the federal government needs to cut down expenses. And then uh, the Brazilian EPA has been suffering from uh, cutting expenses. Uh, not, uh, um, not all the sudden, but what, slowly. What is the Brazilian EPA? Uh, IBAMA. IBAMA. I-B-A-M-A. And what is that? That's the Brazilian, yeah, sorry. Uh, it's the Brazilian Environmental Protection Agency. Ah, okay. Yes. But let's take a step back and why don't you tell, why don't you tell us why exactly we are clearing land in the Amazon? I mean, intuitively mm -hmm. it makes a bit sense because yes, we have this amazing huge forest cover and I just learned before we hit record that the soil in the Amazon is actually count is, is oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's not terrible. suited to agriculture, no. but uh, civilization, as we know, um, it flourishes where there is fertile land so that we can, you know, mm -hmm. grow food. Um, so it makes yeah. intuitive sense that we would have to clear some land to grow food. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, with our neoliberal practices and population growth, we have cleared more than necessary. Yeah, the, the disaster in the Amazon, in my, in my view, is, uh, is man-made, but it's not man-made because in my view because of a uh, capitalism or uh, neoliberalism it was basically the military dictatorship that took power uh, in the 60s so uh, they took power in the 60s and they were looking at this uh, up to that point the brazilian amazon was barely occupied mm. it was really an empty space no i mean who want, who really wants to go there i mean if you live in an urban area it's uh, uh you know, it rains too much. The soil quality is terrible. The Amazon can only be sustained because of the trees, they uh, feed themselves from uh, from the organic matter. Mm. You know, the leaves that fall on the ground, uh, you know, animals and, uh, uh, but so you take the trees out, you take the nutrients out as well. And that's why uh, uh, agricultural land uh, uh, cannot really prosper, uh, even though it is there. It doesn't really prosper after a few years. I mean, the first and second year, yeah, great. But the third, fourth, fifth, then it's really, really bad. So the soil is poor. It drains too much. It's bad for uh, for uh, for crops. Rotten. Uh, it's difficult to transport because of the, the the roads are awful. If it rains, you cannot pass. Everything is bad for agriculture in so many different levels. So I think if you just uh, let uh, if people decide whether to go there or not, they would just decide not to go, and people never did until the 60s. You would only find indigenous people living up to the 60s, even people, indigenous people who never met any, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, white men or uh, mm. people from other cultures. And uh, so then the, the, dicta the military dictatorship decided, well, there is this empty space. We cannot leave this empty for strategic military reasons, whatever that means. And they decided to occupy. And they also said there's this empty area and there are so many landless people in other regions. So, you know, why not being clever? And let's move all these people to the empty area and give them lands. 
So they gave, they gave uh, massive subsidies for people to go to the Amazon, and uh, and pretty much they uh, uh, they uh, they give people land. And do what? Uh, Occupy land and do what? Occupy land and do whatever they wanted with their lands. So people would go there and they would deforest and open the land for pasture, typically. And uh, by pasture you mean cattle? Cattle, fundamentally cattle. And uh, and they also open up a lot of roads. Uh, there's barely any roads in the Amazon. Uh, hydroelectric facilities, mining. That's when this whole thing started in the 60s and 70s. And uh, uh, up to that point, and then in the 80s, uh, we faced a serious economic crisis and government lost its ability to uh, provide subsidies. And then uh, only in the 90s, so that recent, that's when people decided to say, no, no, we have got to stop this. And that's when the policy has changed and uh, conservation policies started to kick in. It's very, it's everything is and very And what recent. happened in the 90s that we had this uh, savior complex that now we must save the Amazon? Like we've yeah, it's cleared because, enough. Yeah. Now, what, what was happening politically? Uh, it's, uh, we started measuring what was happening in the Amazon. Was it technology that, that led to technology this Technology helped. Yes, okay. satellite is a big deal. Satellite is truly a big deal. It's a game changer. And uh, so typically what happens is uh, when there is too much deforestation and then the government, I mean, have international pressure, uh, political pressure from uh, urban sectors. And then, uh, and then the federal government decides, oh no, we have to react. We are, we are looking really bad now, so we have got to do something. So they did something in the 90s, but the truth change happened in the early 2000s. In one of these years, we deforested Massachusetts mm -hmm. after that. Uh, they uh, and that was coming because of uh, Marina Silva. Mm. Marina Silva was the minister for the environment back then, and she is from uh, one Amazonian Amazonian state. So she had, uh, I guess, uh, deforestation in the Amazon uh, spoke to her through spoke to her heart, I guess. Uh, so what was really uh, amazing what they did is that they decided to use the 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 satellite imagery to detect where deforestation was happening and uh, so so let me give you an idea mm. of of, uh, of how complicated that is if you take the whole amazon rainforest including the amazon in other can, other countries the total area of that thing is like 10 times the size of california all of all of the amazon rainforest the Amazon rainforest. Let, let's it's, change. Let's. Can you give me another example other than other than California? Like, what about in Canada? What do we have the size of California? Oh, I don't know. What do we have that's the size of California? Here Honestly, in my geography is so bad <laughs> right now. I can't even imagine what California looks like. But I'm pretty sure people listening to this will be smarter than me. So let's go with California. All right. Cool. And uh, yeah, that's a good question. I'll try to find that out. <laughs> we have to localize uh, it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. So so it's that big. Uh, and uh, so, for example, there is one state capital that's almost in, in the middle of the jungle. And if you want to go from that state capital, that, by the way, if you know that, uh, I'm talking about Manaus is one of the state capitals. I mean, if you're listening and you know it, so that's Manaus. Uh, if you take Manaus is at the um, is at the middle almost of the Amazon of the Brazilian Amazon. And if you take a boat from the from from uh, from Manaus and you try to go all the way up. 
to the frontier, to the border with Colombia, that's going to take you eight days. Like it's more oh, than a wow. week. So it's really, really far. I mean, things are really, really far away. Can you imagine if you are the Brazilian Environmental Protection Agency and you're, mm. you are responsible for preserving that area, then you have to, to uh, protect and uh, 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 patrol all of that area. How can you do it? Mm. So until the early 2000s, it was basically um, anonymous um, complaints would lead the Brazilian EPA to go and check what was going on. But we do right. have so we indigenous people on the ground who who live with the forest, have a have a have a relationship with the forest. And yeah. so mm -hmm. I, I know what you say when the EPA when the EPA has this huge responsibility on itself to protect such a vast uh, large swath of land, but then we do have people living in those living inside the forest who have a very intimate relationship with the forest and they are living in ways that's not necessarily only extracting and destroying so mm -hmm. they are already there kind of regulating and protecting in their own ways yeah but they are a small number because the area is just in incredibly vast it's really difficult and especially after there's all the subsidies that the the military military dictatorship gave uh, then a lot of the non-indigenous people went up, went up there, and uh, they were not that well. Sometimes when they're close to indigenous land, then there are all sorts of conflicts. So how was the government like over the years? How has the Brazilian government managed that relationship between economic development and environmental and saving the environment? Because like, because it is not a tense well. relationship. Yeah, not very well. How do they explain mm. it to the public? Yeah, so they, they have given, uh, in the 80s and 90s, when uh, things start to switch, they were pretty much giving a mixed signals. And they were giving, they were saying, oh, we're going, we are going to preserve, but on, at the same time, we were giving you subsidies to the forest. So that happened for a while. Uh, and now, now this has been changing, especially after the early 2000s, uh, when deforestation dropped down substantially. Then it became really clear, no, we're going after so what happened was, uh, uh, so uh, the satellites, they go over the same point, uh, depending on which satellite we're looking at, let's say every 15 days or so. So uh, uh, so when the, when the government start to use the satellite imagery, they would know if you deforest a plot of land today, they would know in up to 15 days, they would know it. And mm -hmm. then they decide to make use of that information, which they did not before. Uh, so the Brazilian NASA, so to speak, it's called INPE, uh, they would collect that information and they would send that information to the Brazilian EPA. Mm. That happened after 2004. Is this the National Space yes. Research a Agency? Yes. Okay. INPE. Yeah, exactly. And then, so they collect that information and they send all the deforestation hotspots I mean, through the entire Amazon, they send it to the to the Brazilian EPA, and then the Brazilian EPA can make a much better use of that information and send their inspectors on the right place much mm -hmm. faster. And but, time is of essence here. Because, tell me something. I'm yeah. curious. In Brazil, when you mm -hmm. were living in Sao Paulo, yeah. in Brazil, what is the conversation regarding the Amazon like? Like on the news, with your people, on the ground? It's very much like here, naturally. 
people uh, are well aware that deforestation is happening and it's bad. Yes. And mm -hmm. they want the government to to stop it. To stop it. Yes. But then I go back to this. It is hard. I understand the tension politically that you have to develop a mm -hmm. country economically like people need bread and butter on their table they want mm -hmm. jobs um and if export is such a huge part of your gdp mm -hmm. then how do you how 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 do you strike that balance and then how do people talk about striking that balance yeah uh, good good questions let me try to organize my thoughts <laughs> uh first of all uh yeah i was raised in sao paulo and uh, the Amazon, if you live in Sao Paulo, the Amazon feels as distant to you mm. as if you're born and raised in Toronto. Because no one really goes there except if you're doing some touristic trip. Mm. Because uh, it's really, if you're not really doing tourism, I mean, I have been there. It's really, it's extremely hot and humid. Um, it's not that pleasant. There is a reason why it's called a green hell. The and green hell. The green hell. Yeah. How dare they call that beautiful jungle a green hell? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's I must not... hunt this person down, whoever well, said this. Many, many people said, I have a really good friend. She's, um, uh, how do you call? Uh, uh, she studies physics. So, but uh, is it physics? It's not physics. Physician? No, physicist? it's not physician. No, no, no. Physicist. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, she. Uh, she works in a, in a team that uh, they maintain a big tower in the middle of the Amazon, and that tower is meant to measure the air quality of that place. So in one, one way is in which we know how much carbon emissions there is or carbon sink there is in the Amazon is by measuring the composition of the local atmosphere. So she goes there from time to time in the middle of the Amazon and, and you know go over this uh, tower which is really high so she goes all over and she can see all the canopy from above it's really interesting and then she tells me oh when I tell people that I work in the Amazon and I have to go there people's reaction is like oh that's ma that's magical the Amazon is magical but she hates it mm. she doesn't like going there too many mosquitoes you don't sleep well uh you know you are improvised so it is uh, so the forest maybe itself, that's why we should have just left it alone exactly the forest itself uh, is uh, is naturally protected mm. right? because it's not good for us to go there anyway and uh, so there is that and so uh, it actually sometimes more common to see foreigners to go to the amazon than brazilians mm. uh, i have so a distant. question mm -hmm. what would brazil have done like i know a lot of I know a lot of your 70% of your economy is based on exports of soybean, coffee, sugar, beef, and minerals and, and yeah. min so mm -hmm. what would Brazil have done if they had left the Amazon alone? Like where, what would you have exported? What would you, how would your, how would you have built your economy? Is that, is that a very hypothetical con uh, yeah, conjecture? Yeah. Uh, well, if, if the military dictatorship decided to not occupy the Amazon, I think it would not be occupied even today. For the reasons I raised, uh, I mentioned uh, that uh, it's bad for agriculture. So I don't see good reasons for people to move there. I mean, at least not massive. Uh, nowadays, I think there's so, more than 20 million. What was happening before that? Before the 1960s and 70s, what was Brazil's economy based on? Uh, well, mostly on the commodities 
fundamental on commodities, but there is a lot of industrialization. There are many industries, and um, and São Paulo is based a lot of uh, on services nowadays. Mm. Uh, uh, and well, agriculture is pretty much everywhere, and it used to be everywhere. Well, it used to be everywhere as it is now, but not in the Amazon. So basically, people would keep doing their business where they were. So uh, all these subsidies promoted a huge migration. So basically, we would, not, we would not have all that migration. People would be doing something someplace else. Mm. So it was entirely, in my view, was entirely unnecessary. Mm. Do you think uh, that the Brazilian dictatorship took lessons from the states, for example, where there was a lot of deforestation happening? And for example, like America completely chopped down the Virginia forest. So do you mm -hmm. think that they looked over there and they were like, if they're doing it to kickstart to to grow and industrialize, we can do it too? Yeah, maybe. I don't think so, but yeah, maybe. I never thought about that this way. But I do know that people are very jealous of the Amazon there. So uh, the Brazilians, they have, well, not me in particular, but uh, Brazilians, if you go to Rio or Sao Paulo and you talk about what's going on in the Amazon, they feel like they have this duty of protecting it. Who feels that way? The Americans? Uh, the Brazilians. The Brazilians. The Brazilians, they feel that. Not the people who are going to the Amazon and the deforesting, of course, but if you go to the cities mm. and uh, uh, and then they say, and they're very jealous of that in terms of when someone suggests that the Amazon is uh, uh, is an international public good so that uh, the international community should take care of that, mm. people go nuts. They say, no, 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 the Amazon is ours. We have to protect it and we will protect it. So that's much the reaction I see all the time. It's interesting that you bring that because for me, when when we decided to do this podcast, mm -hmm. the what 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 struck out to me immediately was that geographically sure the Amazon is located in Brazil and mm -hmm. parts of other parts of South America, but pr predominantly in Brazil. Yeah. So geographically, it belongs to Brazil and neighboring countries. Sure, but Technically speaking, nature doesn't belong to anybody. Like yeah. we were, I mean, given how, given the impact of the Amazon on the world um, and given how catastrophic it, the ramifications will be if it is devastated. And I read a quote from some of the articles that you sent me was that if the Amazon goes, we all go. Um, so technically, it, yeah. it doesn't belong to anybody, and it's for everybody to save. That's what I think. Uh, I understand the, why people are jealous, but that's what I think. And that's why I think, um, that's why I think it's, uh, I think we're asking too much for the locals to bear the costs of a preservation. Yes. Right. Interesting that you say that. So many interesting points, Eduardo. There's so much to talk about here. <laughs> Jair, I've come back to Jair Bolsonaro because yeah. he's at the helm now. Mm -hmm. He said that um, he alluded to the fact that if we, um, what's, how is it benefiting us to preserve the forest? Because he's a climate skeptic. He his his rhetoric is very much anti-science and anti-environment. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So when he turned away Emmanuel Macron's uh, twenty million dollar aid from mm -hmm. the G7 countries, his point was very much like, leave us alone. We are not benefiting from preserving the Amazon because you're going through a recession. 
Yeah, we are going through. A re I mean, we just we just um, uh, recession that is over, but uh, economic recovery is still very very slow. So we're still in a very very bad shape. The Bolsonaro. What can I say about the guy? He's, uh, <laughs> so much and nothing. Uh, he's he's the he character. resembles. Yeah, sometimes he resembles Trump in a sense. For, for example, the, the, right there. So, uh, uh, so uh, for example, Norway uh, has uh, pledged a lot of money to help preserving the forest. And since deforestation has been increasing steadily, but uh, by the way, let me just make a quick parenthesis. Uh, so it has been increasing steadily. So a part of what we have seen this year is not fundamentally different from what I have seen before. It's a bit worse. I think it's going to be even worser if I can say this, so why is next mainstream year, media saying that? Why, like, why has the Brazil National Space Research Agency said that deforestation has increased by 35% this year? This is the it's this... it's the worst of the decade. If you if you look at this decade, it's the worst year. Okay. okay. So it is definitely the worst. What is difficult to tell is uh, because it has been increasing. It's difficult to tell if there has been an acceleration this year because we don't have enough data yet to say this. What do you think? I think I think two things. One is uh, we cannot detect that statistically. Mm. Uh, two, I think the government is giving all the signals that monitoring is going to be reduced. And so just if, you just, if they keep doing what they're doing and if you give them more time, then we will see an acceleration in the data. So they are not just, so they're, they're, in my view, they're doing bad things. They're doing two really, really bad things at the moment, which is first, they, they don't seem to be working to, to change, to reverse the trend. Because I mean, the trend is being bad for the last 10 years almost. So they have the moral obligation to change the trend. Isn't Bolsonaro in fact worsening it because he said it looks he would, like it's worsening? He would increase all the mining. Signals, yeah, he would yes. loosen policies. I have, protect. I have, I have taken a look at the number of fines, and uh, although it was not so much different, the number of fines I have seen this years in every month was not terribly different than previous years up to June, July. June, July, you see a big drop. And that's a bad signal because I have seen deforestation going up and then all of a sudden the number of fines go down. So that's not uh, how it should go. I mean, uh, you see more deforestation, number of fines should go up. So this is one of the examples that, uh, I mean, this is one thing you can measure. And it's clear that uh, they're, not doing, uh, they're not doing the efforts they were supposed to do to uh, protect the forest. So I think there is that. I think there's a bad behavior on the part of... Um, of the of the Bolsonaro government, it might be perhaps I'm not sure if it is uh, just Bolsonaro or if it has a lot to do with the Brazil, the current Brazilian minister minister for it, for uh, an environment uh, because the minister for the environment he he might have a bigger influence on the day by day operations mm. and he might be able to influence. And who yeah, is the minister of environment? Ah, uh, Salles. And isn't he uh, a guy a, that was that? that Bolsonaro got, and isn't he also very much largely related to, no, no. Okay. Didn't my research tell me that the Ministry of Environment is now handled by the Ministry of Agriculture, which is lobbied by... They were going to put them together, but uh, 
no, which is essentially did. lobbied by bus businessmen. Uh, yeah, there is that. So that was also another bad signal. It's there was a lot of political outcry, outcry about that. I was less concerned with whether the Ministry for the Environment would be part of the Ministry Ministry for Agriculture. I was much more concerned with uh, the government orient the government orientation, because depending on the orientation, it doesn't matter if uh, you know we have the two ministries or not. Um, uh, they're gonna do what they wanna do uh, regardless. Mm. So this to me was was a bad signal, but was not bad in itself. It's, I mean, it's just a symptom, I guess. Now, they uh, uh, so uh, I think so. The government has been given all these bad signals, and you can see that uh, the number of fines have decreased while deforestation has increasing. So this is bad, and I think that a lot of uh, this signaling is going to be much more captured by the data next year. So I would not be surprised if you see bigger numbers next year. It's the kind of thing I'm expecting, actually. The way I see it, I mean, as someone who is a super common person, you know, mm -hmm. I, and as, as someone who's involved in the, the, in the day, like daily conversations around climate emergency, the way I see it is that governments will, the establishment will go about their business till people get riled up. So mm -hmm. my curiosity, my question is this, there is a heat there. There are many like intersections to what we are witnessing now. There's mm -hmm. the intersection of the fact that Brazil possibly witnessed the worst corruption scandal in history, Operation Car Wash, where mm -hmm. your president Lula da Silva, who was one of the most like loved and uh, revered presidents of Brazil was also caught in that scandal. Mm -hmm. um, Dilma Rousseff was also caught in it. So Brazil has come at, at um, Jair Bolsonaro has been elected at the back of a huge corruption scandal, number one. Mm -hmm. So people tired of the establishment saw this guy who much like Trump spoke to them um, very much like they speak to each other. So no, no political uh, mouthwash happening. Mm -hmm. So number two, people are upset that the establishment promised so much, delivered so little, and then they were also caught in corruption. Okay. Number three, we are seeing in Brazil that you are recover in, in economic recovery. Uh, crime rates are still up. Um, people's pockets are still empty. Mm -hmm. um, so that. Then we also have the fact that we're in the midst. We're not in the midst. We are living... A, in a climate emergency situation. Mm -hmm. So five intersections yeah. for me, the way mm -hmm. I see it. Yes. Now, when people sitting in Brasilia, Sao Paulo, only two cities that I can think of right now in Brazil, mm -hmm. you're right that the Amazon feels as far as as far away uh, from them as it does to me sitting in Toronto. So mm -hmm. when people are angry at the establishment, they're angry at the government, they elect this ultra right nas uh, nationalistic person who is will not solve anything from them for them but but he is promising x y and z that will maybe lead to more economic prosperity how mm -hmm. do people how will we now how are we striking the balance between the fact that we cannot let the amazons slip away from us because we will be at a point of no return but at yeah. the same time people's lives on the ground are being affected so it's hard to rally them mm -hmm. to save the environment yeah, uh, yeah, 
we have a lot of so points. Many stuff. <laughs> uh, let me go. Let me go by parts. Let me go first. Uh, let me try to go first uh, over the Amazon problem, mm. and then uh, maybe can go. Maybe can uh, get back to the political issues, the recent political issues that. Uh, uh, but they're so deeply interconnected. Yeah, I know. Uh, let's let's talk about the rise of Bolsonaro uh, later, uh, just for a second. Uh, so about the. So uh, uh, here's going to be the economist talking. So the economist, uh, we look at the environmental problem as an externality problem. And I might have told you this before, and I don't remember. The basic idea is that when you, let me say, when you pollute, you're causing other people's harm, and you're not paying for that cost you impose on others. So that's external to you. So uh, because you do not take that into account, you pollute way too much. From a society point of view, that's just too much. And deforestation is the same thing. When you deforest, uh, you're causing harms because uh, you're putting, uh, well, you're causing harms directly to, of course, the local plants and animals. You are affecting biodiversity. You are, when you put fire, uh, you're releasing a lot of uh, carbon emission. There's a lot of carbon emissions. That's bad for climate change. So imposing costs on future generations. Uh, you're also imposing costs on locals because the ashes go to the atmosphere and they cause uh, respiratory problems in other regions. Mm -hmm. When you're the forest, you're thinking about, I'm going to convert this land to pasture and then I'm going to put some cattle and I'm going to make my living on it. It's short-term thinking. Even if you're, they're thinking ahead because it, uh, it's an investment. They have to put... They will not make money the same year they do the deforestation. Mm. It, it it takes a, it takes a number of uh, fires actually to to uh, to deforest uh, an area completely. So a lot of these fires, by the way, that we have seen in the news, a lot of those uh, were repeated fires on the same places because they were uh, cleaning the land. Now, uh, so there are so many uh, harms you can do to others. If you just take the harm coming from carbon emissions there is so much carbon on the ground and if you put a dollar value on that it way outweighs the benefits you have from deforestation where the benefits are um, you're using the land to produce something so in my view if you take the economic gains of using the rainforest for agriculture and if you take into account the harm it causes on others in terms of all of these things i mentioned before the harm is way bigger even in economic sense, if you put money value on all of those things, the way uh, uh, the harm is way bigger than the benefits, which to me means there should be way less deforestation. Actually, in some of my calculations, it, it, it even suggests that we shouldn't have no deforestation, it's zero. Uh, so in that sense, if you think in, if, if you think in terms of uh, uh, economics, we shouldn't have any or maybe a little bit of deforestation, but very little at most. Okay? Mm. So that's on, uh, um, that's what I think we should be doing with the Amazon, just trying to uh, stop it, basically, because the benefits are much better than uh, you know, the use of the land as it is. So that's one. Now, in terms of uh, uh, trying to help develop the country, uh, yes, you're right, Bolsonaro has been trying that. And uh, so my view is a little, if you ask other Brazilians, you will hear different opinions. And it, today everything, I mean, like in the US and here and everywhere, everything is so polarized. Mm -hmm. So my view of what happened in Brazil 
what is happening in Brazil is that uh, when Lula took power by 2003, more or less, he was elected in 2002. He was very popular and he was able to manage, uh, you know, stimulating the economy. And I think this first term was actually really good uh, in combining economic growth and uh, reducing uh, uh, and uh, having this uh, social welfare uh, net. So lots of cash transfer programs to help alleviate poverty and so on. Uh, but in the, in, by 2005 or so, uh, they were caught in the huge corruption scandal. And we have been hearing corruption scandals involving the Labour Party for 10 years in a row, ininterruptedly. And uh, I mean, billionaire, I mean, billions and billions mm -hmm. of dollars, a lot of money. So people got upset. Yet, it was still popular enough to, to be reelected and to elect the, the Dilma who succeeded her, uh, his, uh, his uh, second term. Now, Dilma came and um, she, she completely messed up with the economy. She has this view that the state has to intervene and uh, drive uh, development. But what happens when you try that hard to just keep, if the government tries to keep uh, uh, providing incentives for economic growth, it eventually runs into budget deficits. Mm. And when that happens, you are not able to stimulate the economy anymore. All you're going to collect is inflation. So that's what we saw in by 2010. And so she, she kept trying to stimulate the economy and she was just seeing more and more inflation and no economic growth. And actually the economy plant plant. Uh, and in 2015 and 16, we saw the worst crisis ever. I mean, is the word the loss in GDP in those two years was the worst that we have seen in like 120 years. It was wow. that level of, uh, you know, that was that bad. So you have corruption scandals, huge economic recession, pretty much caused by the government because uh, we didn't see any type of crisis elsewhere. So it's pretty much a uh, domestic crisis. Uh, then you put together with the fact that uh, she, uh, she frauded the budget this is controversial. Some people would disagree with me, but I'm pretty convinced that she did. And uh, she was very politically unskilled. It's opening up a whole other can of worms. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so uh, you put all these things together is the perfect crisis. That's one of the, that's why she was took out mm -hmm. of uh, that. That's why she was impeached. Because we are. People are so crazy against them. Then they were willing to vote for Bolsonaro so that the Liberal Party would not come back. Yeah. And. In many ways, yeah, this is this this seems to be a global trend. Like the Lula was given a second chance, almost like okay, he did great mm -hmm. in his first term. Let's mm -hmm. give him a second chance, no matter what happened. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that in Canada also. Trudeau yeah. has been given a second chance. Yeah. Obama was given a second chance. Yeah. Paved the way for Trump. That's also a whole controversial can of worms. Mm -hmm. But because we are now short of time, mm -hmm. we have 12 minutes on the clock. Oh, okay. Let's leave on a hopeful note. What mm -hmm. is um, where do we drive hope from here? And what is the silver lining? The silver lining, as I see it, is that this is a man-made crisis. Mm -hmm. um, these are man-made, human-made forest, uh, forest fires, excuse my language. Yeah. These are human-made fires. So silver Entirely. lining, as I see it, is that we, if we have created the problem, we can reverse the problem. Yes. So and it's not like we don't know how to do it because we did it. I mean, uh, if we know how to do a lot of things, but... Yeah. The problem is that we don't do them around the world. Yes, that's an issue. But I mean, 
deforestation was in 2004 was about uh, I don't know if I can remember the name uh, it was about I don't know 30,000 square kilometers deforested in a single year by 2010 it was like five or six thousand it was a huge decline basically the uh, the help of technology basically satellite imagery and a couple of other clever ideas but mostly in my view satellite imagery uh, and uh, and the willing to do uh, um, to monitor and enforce uh, illegal deforestation dropped by a huge amount. By the 2010, some people, including myself, we thought, uh, well, maybe we have reached a technological limitation because the satellite, as it goes over the same place, it can observe pixels of a given size, so you cannot see deforestation of smaller sizes that are inside the pixels. So it felt like this was a really limiting uh, technological constraint. It turns out that this is not a constraint anymore because mm -hmm. they have been able now to see the same pixel almost every day uh, and in a much better spatial resolution. So technology is there, so we can use it. It's a matter but of where using is the, it. But of course, but where is the will to use it? Because right now you are being governed by a leader who is a climate skeptic. Yeah. So if he doesn't believe that there's a problem, then yeah. that technology will be sat. Yeah, waiting. yeah. So there is, the, yeah, there is that. That's true. So I guess uh, perhaps when the next one comes, there is this. <laughs> but uh, we never. I mean, we should not forget that he's a politician. So if there is an incredibly huge outcry about what ha what's happening to Amazon, he would just make the usual uh, uh, cost-benefit analysis and say, well, you know, everybody's upset with me, so maybe I'm not going to get reelected. So maybe I should do something do about we, it. I know, like, I don't want to be one of those people who makes, who exaggerates the urgency of a situation, mm -hmm. but if we are saying that every minute we're losing a soccer field size of the Amazon forest. And mm -hmm. if the Amazon goes, we all go. And in one of the articles that you sent me, reporter Stephanie, excuse me, Stephanie Nolan said again and again, scientists told me that the future of the forest has never been as certain, as uncertain as it is now. So there is no doubt that we are living in a climate emergency, mm -hmm. right? Like if it, it may seem like we have time, but mm -hmm. again, how do we gather collective action, collective interest so that people rile up together, don't elect this person, granted his popularity has dropped by two thirds. Mm -hmm. Okay, only one third of the people who elected him now support him. Mm -hmm. But if till he is in power, he keeps um, his loose, his loose law, environmental laws allow for, for for deforestation to take place, then every day we are losing mm -hmm. literally a heritage of humanity. Mm -hmm. Can so you, do you get so, let me, so there let me is urgency? A, yes. Let me give you a, a few good news. Okay. That I know I'm of. all ears. Yes. So one, uh, uh, forest regeneration that has passed unnoticed. I have a new uh, research with uh, Juliana Sunsum and Clarissa Gandur. They uh, um, we have. So uh, the satellite imagery, the way deforestation is measured is typically, oh, there is deforestation here, uh, so it's registered, and they, do, they don't look at that plot any longer as time goes. So uh, we, have, we don't really know what's happened. We did not know what was happening in those places in which deforestation has taken place. 
Now, new data from satellite imagery can classify what's the type of land use in these deforested areas. And it turns out, well, we know that most of it is pasture. There is less of a crops, but there is crops. It turns out that about 20% of the deforested area, 20, 25%, it's actually forest regeneration. So there has been a huge increase in, in, in secondary vegetation, basically abandoned land. But in proportion mm. to human activity, well, is it a enough? Lot. It is, it's really a lot. And actually, uh, uh, one of the things that uh, we discovered is that when there is a forest alert, a hotspot deforestation in a given place, uh, well, one thing that could have happened, and it did not, and uh, thank God, is that if there is, uh, uh, if monitoring increases, and if people knew that uh, uh, the, the, the monitoring system did not pay attention to deforested areas, locals could go and say, oh, I'm not going to deforest a new area. I'm just going to deforest the secondary vegetation, the land that I had abandoned, mm. because I'm not going to be uh, fined uh, by using that land because the government does not even know because it doesn't uh, uh, follow up on that. So that could be that could have happened, but it didn't happen. What happened is that uh, people decided to stop the, um, diminishing deforestation. I mean, I'm talking about the after the monitoring system was uh, uh, was taking place. Uh, taking place, uh, they decided to not deforest the primary forest and also not the uh, secondary vegetation. So secondary vegetation is increasing which is good news. I mean, it's 25% of the total deforestation, so it's not it's not negligible, but it's not it's as much as we, as we would like. So this is one piece of good news. The second one- And just on a, on a, on a nice, good good piece of news, because yes. we're, we have four minutes left. Okay. What, mm -hmm. what is something that will, that will leave people um, with hope, that there is hope that we are working together, that leaders are working together to yes. to reverse to mitigate the so situation the, so the good news is uh, uh well we have the technology to do it we know how to do it politicians are politicians at the end of the day so they will respond to pressure to political from people pressure, from people yes they will i mean bolsonaro after all this huge outcry what did he do nothing not really no he was really concerned because he was losing support from his own basis because a lot of his own basis uh, was from people who were pissed off with the Labour Party, but they were not fans of Bolsonaro. So he was losing those guys. And if he loses those guys, he's not going to be reelected because I don't think he has enough. Uh, I mean, the radicals are not in large numbers, at least not enough. Uh, so I think he realized that. And uh, he decided to take some measures. He put the army to help. Not clear if that's entirely helpful, if it's 100 helpful, but Yet at least he starts sending some mixed signals that, well, you know, maybe what I was doing maybe was not such a great idea. Maybe we're going to lose a lot of support. Well, he hasn't walked yeah. away from the Paris summit as he promised in his campaign. Yeah, but I mean that's a Trump behavior. I mean mm. uh, he gets pissed with the, you know, with the, uh, Macron, mm -hmm. and then he says, ah, I don't like the guy. Uh, his wife is ugly. You know, he has this crazy. <laughs> have Have you seen? He said yeah. that. Yeah, he said it. I mean. So the sense we. I knew this would not be a one episode thing. This is this needs <laughs> we need another one on this. But the the sense I'm getting from you is that yes, yes, we have technology. We know what to do. 
politicians know what to do. Of course, they're greed and power, they're power hungry. So they will only do what will keep them in power. And mm -hmm. if, uh, if Bolsonaro knows that he will only be able to return to office, if he, um, makes, if he makes policies that are more favorable to the environment, then he will be reelected. Sure. But then again, it feels like the burden, uh, to create that pressure falls on the people. Yeah. Well, we need, we need more, uh, we need, uh, we need to put in contact the local farmers with the people who are willing to pay to preserve the forest. If you have, for example, if you look at firms in, uh, uh, the European carbon markets, they need to, uh, you know, uh, they need to, um, uh, emit less carbon. And one way they could do it, it's to pay to preserve some forests. So if you can connect these pieces together, then uh, the people who benefit from uh, preservation can actually help the locals mm. to preserve the rainforest. So this is one of the things that I'm hugely in favor, paying the locals to preserve. And they would like that very much because I mean, who wouldn't like to have to receive money to just uh, watch the yeah. trees grow? <laughs> seems like a seems like a beautiful like, job. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we have to wrap up this episode because it's been going on for 60 minutes. But I promise that we're going to have you back because I think okay. we need to keep talking about this. Um, on a on a very last note, when I was researching for this episode, I told Eduardo that it seemed like there were so many like blocks to this issue. Yeah, it's uh, on one level, it's it's the tension between economic development and saving the environment. But on on a on a larger scale, globally, we're seeing that people are getting frustrated by the establishment who for so many years has promised progress, equality, equity, la di da di da. But again, those promises, fa they fail to deliver on those promises. And we're we're seeing a lot of that in in Canada as well. We've seen that in Brazil. We've seen that in India. We've seen that in the States. Um, the frustration and disillusionment with the establishment. Um, and at the same time, we are we are living through a climate emergency where we no longer can have leaders just lie through their teeth to us. We're staring down the barrel of a gun. We need leaders to start becoming a bit more sincere and honest. And I know you said that they will only do um, they will only act in 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 ways that will keep them in power. But I think like I think there's come there's we've come at a time now where leaders have to start thinking beyond themselves and like thinking for the greater good and not just act as career politicians. Yeah, I may I be agree. talking idealistically, yeah. but mm -hmm. but idealism will save yeah. us at this point. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. um, exactly. They uh, would be better if they were not so myopic and just thinking about their. Uh, short-term benefits in, of being Four reelected. Four years of office. Yeah. yeah. Um, on, yeah. That, on that note, um, <laughs> hopeful, realistic, idealistic, I don't know anymore. On that, mo on that note, thank you for listening to the 14th episode of The Nth Dimension. I think we need to come back on this because for me, the Amazon, the issue with the Amazon forest is, is like a, it's, it's like a metaphor for, for, it is a met for me, it is a metaphor uh, of the tension between economics and, and, and capitalism and, and the environment. So hopefully we can talk about it some more. Thank you, Eduardo, for joining us. Thank you. It was um, a lot of fun. Thank you. It was Thanks. fun for me, too. And let's go back out into the cold, shall we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for now. Episode 14 of The Nth Dimension.
This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details.